Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Well, today is a very special day. It is Mission Sunday, which of course follows Easter. And we want to keep in the tradition of our faith that when we know that Jesus rose victorious over the grave and over death, we want to proclaim his gospel even to the farthest reaches of the earth. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Springs Church, uh, at least for one more month. I've got one more month of being staff as a pastor here, and then uh, I'm resigning, and my wife and I are going to full-time pursue uh, going back to Southeast Asia to preach the gospel to the 17-plus million Muslims that live in Malaysia. And uh, we'll be here until the end of the year, and we're going to leave right after Christmas so, of course, you'll see us around and we'll be serving. Uh, but yeah, it has been an incredible, incredible privilege to be with you guys uh, here at the church as a staff member. I've been on staff for seven years. In that time, I've had nine different jobs, everything from the janitor to the executive pastor. Uh, and I think they made me the executive pastor because I just wasn't good at cleaning. You know, they're just like, yeah, this guy, it's not because I'm good at leading. I'm just bad at cleaning. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, I think really it's the, the kindness of the, the elders and Pastor Michael especially. I just want to thank uh, you and Beth for taking Nicole and I under your guys' wings and just uh, caring for us and the elders, how patient they've been. And we have had, um, we've just done a lot of life in this church and we are going to miss you guys uh, dearly. And so we're, this is just a sweet season for us to be here with you guys. So uh, I'm not going to get the chance to tell you about Malaysia here in this sermon, though we do have a lunch right afterwards that I invite all of you guys. We bought a ton of food, uh, and I would just ask, yeah, please come. Hear what we're doing and how you guys can be involved. Uh, we have child care for that as well, so we've got activities planned for the little ones. Uh, so you'll hear more about Malaysia, but I most specifically want to talk about the why. Why go? Why obey the Great Commission? Why the risk why the expense? Why can't you just stay here and make disciples? And the truth is, unless we understand the great why of the Great Commission, we are first off not going to have the impetus or the, the momentum, the drive to actually obey the Great Commission. And billions of souls are at stake if we don't obey the Great Commission. But even more than that, what we risk is having an incomplete view of who Jesus is and is to be. We're going to have an inc we're, we're going to miss out on all that God wants to bring us into. He wants to bring us into his heart for the nations and we want to know that Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. So let's pray before we get into the word. God, I thank you so much that I have a church family here, God, that are ones that we do pray for our missionaries and we do give to missions. And Lord, we are out telling people about Jesus. But Jesus, I'm asking that it would be more than just a, a spiritual chore list or a to-do list. That God, when we look at the Great Commission, it's more than just a, a should, I should. Lord, that we'd actually enter into your heart. We would know the person of Jesus 
And it's in that relationship with you that we would have more than enough reason to make your gospel known even to the ends of the earth. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn uh, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to look at the final words of Jesus before his ascension, known as the Great Commission. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I love that video because it did a great job of saying, when it's talking about nations, we're not just talking about national boundaries. We're not just talking about the 200 some countries uh, that are registered. We're actually talking about people groups. And as the name implies, people groups are groups of people that have their own distinct language, culture, common history. So you're thinking of like uh, the Jat in Pakistan, the Uyghur of Northern China, the Malay people of Malaysia. These are individual distinct people groups who need to hear the gospel. And so Jesus says, make disciples of of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. So important. Even to the end of the age. I want to talk about the great why of the Great Commission. And really, the, the understanding of it is in the beginning and the end. It's like this parenthetical bracket, the beginning of what Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, as well as the end, lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, actually gives the Great Commission its context. So to give context to it, we have to remember that these are the final words of Jesus after he was resurrected, super important, and before he ascends. And so we went through uh, the March to the Cross series with Pastor Michael, and there's that, that amazing scene in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying to his Father. He's contemplating his crucifixion. He's saying, Lord, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And then we know he carries out the will of the Father. He was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. And with a loud voice, he says, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit and he dies. That term, it is finished, is really, really important. And we know that means that what is finished? The old covenant, the, the perfect keeping of the Mosaic law that Jesus did what no one else was able to do ever before in human history or will ever be able to do. He gave God the Father perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. This is foundational of our faith. We know that. But the question is, what is his reward for that obedience? What is his reward for saying, it is finished, I upheld my end of the bargain? His reward is authority. Authority. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess 
confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we see in this picture is that Jesus humbled himself during his time on earth. He didn't revile evil for evil. He didn't fight uh, you even have that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says to Peter, don't you know I could call down tens of thousands of angels and just decimate everybody? But he was humble and he even became obedient to the Father to the point of death on a cross. It says, therefore, there's a day when God the Father is going to exalt Jesus and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth is going to bow in allegiance and submission to God. Wow, that sounds really familiar to the Great Commission. Every knee is going to bow on earth and in heaven to all authority in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. God the Father is exalting Jesus to have authority. But we have to ask, what kind of authority is this? Is this the kind of authority where now Jesus can just tell everybody in the whole world what to do and we all carry it out perfectly? Uh, just from an observational level, it doesn't seem like that. All you got to do is look out your window or open up your, your newspaper app, and you're going to see very quickly that Jesus is not exercising his authority like he could, right? We see that unbelievers still hate Jesus, still persecute the church, are still running wild with, with evil, the wars that we've got going on, the chaos. So his authority isn't to stop evil in the world right now. Well, maybe his authority is for inside the church. Oh, not exactly sure about that either. If church history has shown us anything, we've seen scandals. We've seen atrocities like the Crusades and the Inquisitions. We've seen that we're still not obedient or haven't fulfilled the Great Commission. So it's like if Jesus was perfectly authoritative over the church, why does the church look like it does today? Well, maybe Jesus meant a personal level. I, I mean, I don't even have to point a finger at anyone but myself and say, I confess, Jesus is not exercising his authority in my life like he should. He, I mean, he has every right to say how I should live. And guys, I don't obey him perfectly. Even though I have the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ and the word of God, even I don't carry out God's intentions perfectly. So then what kind of authority is this? Is it maybe just the sense of Jesus saying to his disciples, okay, guys, all authority has been given to me, so you should go and make disciples. You should do this. It's, you know, Galatians 2.20. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, meaning you have no right. You, you've lost all of your rights, all of your money, the way that you spend your time, your decisions, all of it. I should have authority. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. We know these things, and it's the should Christianity that oftentimes we feel guilty for. But I'm gonna to argue today that that's actually not what Jesus was talking about. When he said all authority in heaven and on earth is mine, he doesn't mean that he just barks out orders and now it's just a utopia here on earth. Instead, he had something very specific in mind and what Jesus specifically meant and what the disciples understood was that when Jesus said, I have all authority, what he meant was the authority to judge all of humanity at the end of the age. So the first point is why should we obey the Great Commission? Because Jesus has authority to judge humanity. Look in John chapter five, starting in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, 
But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Skip down to verse 21. For as the father, this is Jesus speaking, raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Because of Jesus' obedience, he humbled himself. God the Father exalts him and says, you are the most powerful man, the God man that has ever existed. All authority is yours to judge humanity at the end of the age. That all, verse 23, honor, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Skip down to verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus says this term, Son of Man, sometimes we read the Gospels and things that Jesus says is like so cryptic. We're like, oh, why does he use all this spiritual language? Like, why can't he just say it plain and straight? When he uses this term, Son of Man, that's a direct reference to Daniel chapter seven in which Daniel sees a vision and the one like the Son of Man comes and God the Father gives him all dominion, all authority for all the nations of the world. And so the reason that Jesus was put on a cross and crucified is because he claimed to be that man. He claimed to be the anointed Messiah, the one that has the exclusive right to judge all of humanity. I don't have time to go through all of the passages that we see here, but we have passages like Psalm 2 that say, why do the nations rage? God has established his Messiah on Zion and he's going to rule the nations. Be wise, O kings. Kiss the son lest you perish in his wrath, but are blessed are those who take refuge in him. It's this picture of God saying, all authority is yours and anyone that does not honor you, anyone that doesn't kiss your hand like a, like a king sitting on the throne, extending the hand and you kiss his ring and you, you, you pay homage to him and you say, God, I give you my allegiance. Anyone who doesn't do that is doomed. This is why when they crucified Jesus in mockery, they put a sign above his cross saying, King of the Jews, the Messiah, the anointed one who's going to save all of humanity and judge the living and the dead. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. Little do they know in God's kingdom, he has highly exalted Jesus to be the one that all humanity is going to stand before his throne someday and they're gonna have to give an account for their lives. Look at Acts chapter 10. This is Peter, to give it context, going to the house of Cornelius. He's one of the first Gentiles who receives salvation. He's never been into a Gentile house before. And this is Peter explaining the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, starting in verse 39, says, and we were witnesses, we the disciples were witnesses of all that he, Jesus, did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, as testifiers, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 
Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. My question, Peter just said, yeah, Jesus commanded us to tell everyone that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. My question is, when? When did Jesus command Peter to proclaim that he's the judge? In the Great Commission, when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go therefore and make disciples. There are so many passages that we don't have time to get into today that so overtly, time and time and time again, reference Jesus as the judge to come, that he's going to return. He's gonna, just like he ascended into heaven, the angel said just the same way that he ascended, he's coming back down. And when he comes back, he's not gonna be this humble servant Jesus. He's going to be exalted. He's gonna come with myriads and myriads of angels and he's going to bring judgment. He's gonna end all evil. It's, this is the promise that we as believers have. And we say, how long, oh Lord, are we gonna have to put up with all of these wars and the abortions and the evil, not just out there, but inside here. There is a fixed day that Jesus is going to return and he's going to put everything in submission to him. You can look at Acts chapter 17, John 12, 48, Matthew 16, 27, I'll just read that one really quick. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repeat, repay each person according to what he has done. Matthew 25, 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, he's going to gather all the nations. He'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Last one I'll read, 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by the appearing and by his kingdom. There are so many passages, a list longer than my arm that I could give you that is so overtly clear that Jesus is going to come back and judge. And unless we have an understanding of that day, then we can start to kind of reverse engineer and say, oh my gosh, there's a day when Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna say, hey, did you kiss the son? Did you bow? Did you pay homage to the son of man? If not, you're doomed. But if you did, if you worship me, if you uh, repented of your sins, it doesn't even matter what you've done. If you will return or repent and turn from your sins, you have forgiveness in me is life and I give that life to you. So again, the first point is why obey the great commission because Jesus has been given the exclusive right to judge all of the nations, all of the people groups, all the peoples of the earth. When is this going to happen? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you. And both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What is the commandment of the Lord and Savior? The Great Commission. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing just as they were from the beginning. What it's saying here is, man, even this just happened recently, uh, that we have these crazy things like 
rumors of wars, Ukraine being invaded, Afghanistan being overrun by the Taliban. And we're literally just on our apps, just looking at the news each and every day saying, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then, you know, they have the, the Academy Awards and Will Smith slaps Chris Rock in the face. And all of a sudden, oh, oh it's normal. It's, life is back to usual, right? It's just like we're consumed with entertainment. And we forget all of the chaos and crazy things that are happening. We forget that these are signs of his coming. And so Peter continues and says, verse five, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's alluding to the flood. He's saying back in Noah's day, everyone was just saying, hey, the world is just gonna continue. Everything's gonna be fine. When is Jesus gonna return? I don't know. And then a flood hits them in a single day and millions of people perish. He says, it's gonna be like that. And then he continues, but by the same word, of, word the heavens and earth that, are, that exist now are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's not like God is just twiddling his thumbs when am I gonna send Jesus back to, to right every wrong and to establish the kingdom? He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's patient. There's a difference between slowness and patience. Why does his patience exist? Because he desires that all people would know him. That right now, he is providing a window of amnesty, this window of mercy and forgiveness, that there will be a day when God rightly judges all of humankind and repays each one according to their deeds, the ones that did not worship Jesus, to eternal destruction. This is what the Bible says. But right now, he's patient. He's not willing that even one should perish. And he's saying, come, repent. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you the option. You can turn from your sin. You can come to me. I'll forgive you. I'll give you life. There is a gospel shot clock and the counter is ticking, ticking, ticking until that day that he returns. It's because of his patience. He is a judge, but listen, church, he's a merciful judge. He's a loving and gracious judge. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible is Ezekiel 18. And again, I'm just going to summarize it for the sake of time. But in Ezekiel 18, in the Old Testament, God is saying, I don't desire that any should perish. Say there's a righteous person that loves me and follows me. He will surely live. He will not die. But say there's a wicked person. Because of his wickedness, he will die. But say that wicked person repents and turns to me. He shall not die. He shall surely live. Do you think I take pleasure in punishing the wicked? Far be it, is what he says. I would so much rather that the wicked repent and live. Why obey the great commission? Because Jesus wants to forgive. 
that right now we are living in a unique time where God has opened up a window, a season of amnesty and mercy and forgiveness where it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, you can turn to Jesus, have every sin forgiven and be made right with God. This is Jesus looking at Jerusalem and he weeps, he's weeping he says, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. Jesus' heart is breaking. He is weeping when people reject him. But there is much rejoicing in heaven when the least of these, when even one comes to faith in Jesus. The Jesus that we love and serve, we have to have, we have to calibrate, guys. He's not just the, oh, Jesus carries lamps. He's also a judge. He will also have his vengeance. He will also punish the wicked, but he's not willing that any should perish. He's the one that leaves the 99 for the one. He's the same Jesus that said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And unless we understand that that's Jesus's heart, can I be honest? Missions just seems like another Christian cause. It just seems like another worthy preoccupation. Oh, I know I should support missionaries. Oh, I know I should tell people about Jesus. But if we don't understand Jesus's intense desire to reunite lost man with himself, we don't know Jesus. We don't know Jesus. We are missing so much of his heart and his character. The third point that I want to talk about, why obey the Great Commission? Because Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Verse three, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? when you're gonna return? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Don't be deceived about my coming. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to be uh, persecuted, and they'll put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. They'll be numb to it. They'll be desensitized to it. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the coming kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all people groups as a testimony to all people groups. And then the end will come. Okay, I am not the guy, really, I'm truly not the guy. It's like, hey, get out your calendars. Circle the day. This is when Jesus is coming back. No, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But the disciples ask a pretty straightforward question to Jesus. They say, hey, when, what are the signs 
to know if you're coming back soon. Like, when should we be alert to your coming? He says, very straightforward answer. He says, okay, here's how you're going to know. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. Hello, check. There's going to be global phenomena and earthquakes and tsunamis and pandemics that touch every sphere of the whole world. Check. There's going to be increased lawlessness where people don't know their left hand from their right. They don't know right from wrong. Check. There's going to be persecution to the church and the people of God. Check. These are like birth signs. This is, my wife is six months pregnant and uh, we're super excited. This is our fifth child. And uh, the deal is she's already started to have uh, Braxton Hicks, right? Like the, the abdominal muscles just start contracting. And then she's like, oh, feel my stomach. It's contracting. I was on the couch the other day. I feel her stomach. I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like you're only six months pregnant. No, 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 no. It's just a sign that my body is getting ready for these things. One of the missionaries on our team that's going to Malaysia with us, she told us a story uh, a couple months ago. Her sister um, was pregnant and uh, they were driving to the hospital, right? And the husband didn't even have time to pull over. And um, this, the sister actually gave birth to the baby while like driving. She delivered the baby herself. Like this is... I'm a very brave person. I consider myself courageous, right? Like that's just how God made me. I'm not scared of much. I'll go into the tunnels under Las Vegas, like preach it in front of the Bellagio, whatever. That terrified, like, oh my gosh. Like I have like chills up my back just thinking about like driving and then like, ah, and baby, like, oh my gosh, okay? So pray for us. Pray hard that we make it to the hospital. We've got time to spare. We can walk, we can do laps, all of that. I know some of you though, you're gonna pray the opposite. I already know, like you're gonna like, God, I just pray you just stretch his faith, God, just test him, make him know that he can just rely on you. Just have that baby in the car. I rebuke you in Jesus' name, like no, like, like that's not gonna happen, okay? But the truth is that we, when, when, when we experience contractions, that's not the time to pretend like pregnancy isn't real or the baby isn't coming. No, a pregnancy and contractions say, oh my gosh, I need to make sure the baby's room is set. I need to have diapers. I need to do my breathing exercises. <laughs> my wife and I are just doing breathing exercises all the time. I'm doing hand workouts, making sure that when my wife is like popping all the veins in my hand as that baby's, I don't even feel it. I can just concentrate on her, right? Like these are the things that we're supposed to do in preparation for the baby. Okay, pause there. I'm just gonna be really honest with you. Nicole and I have been trying to get to the mission field for 10 plus years. We got to the mission field January 1st, 2020 in Malaysia. We were there three months and then COVID hit and we came back, okay? And now as we're ramping up to go again, again, I look at the news and I'm saying, oh my gosh, people are talking about World War III? People are talking about nuclear threats? Well, just the, our own government is doing insane, crazy stuff. And so the thought that comes is like, what if we don't go? What if we, we just need to hunker down here? Like who would go and be a missionary during this time? Like we need to just take care of my family. I've got five kids. Like I, I just need to be responsible. There are giants in the land. If it wasn't for Matthew 24, right? Matthew 24 says, 
okay, when you see wars and rumors of wars and lawlessness is increased and all of these things, the thing that needs to happen is that the gospel needs to go forth in power to all people groups. You don't hunker down. Green means go. You do pedal to the metal. You get out there and proclaim. There is a window of mercy for you. Jesus wants you to have a right relationship with God because the end is coming soon. These are birthing signs that Jesus is coming back. Let me tell you about missions today and then we're gonna close. If you were to graph out the Great Commission, the, 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 the progress of the Great Commission, here's what it would look like. If this ax, uh, x-axis represents time and the y-axis represents like souls or the gospel going to new people groups, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit hits after Jesus has ascended, at Pentecost, we see that the gospel just explodes. New people groups are being saved all the time. It says in, the, in Acts 2, thousands were being added to their number daily. Like, it's incredible. You go a little bit further in missions history, our action missionary school. We went almost year by year through missions history. And you see around the fourth century that the gospel and the Great Commission begins to stagnate and like there's a severe drop and then it just flatlines. That's because at this time, Christianity is being militarized by Constantine. Then you have uh, the setup for the dark ages. You have heresy, you have doctrinal issues, you have disputes about the papacy, like all of these things for largely thousand plus years, the gospel is just doing a creeping crawl. Only in a few select pockets is the gospel going forth in power. What about the last 100 years? Do you know what's happened for the Great Commission in the last 100 years? If you were to look at that graph, again, Pentecost and then a drop, here's what's happening. Wham! It's like a wall of gospel proclamation. The gospel has gone forth more in the last 100 years than the 2,000 years combined. It is insane. People groups, Muslims are coming to faith like never before. They're being disillusioned with Islam and they're saying, surely this war and all of this isn't it. There must be a God out there. They're having dreams and visions of the man in white. Like it, the gospel is exploding right now, which is yet another sign that Jesus is coming back soon. Listen, the great commission is actually accomplishable in our generation. Previously, years before, man, you have to get on a, uh, a boat for like six months and you might die on the boat just trying to get to India or into China. Now, you, because of technology, automobiles, uh, yeah, automobiles, planes and trains, uh, we can be in a people group that has never heard about the gospel in less than 24 hours. You can get on a plane and in 24 hours, you're in a people group that has no clue about Jesus. What does this mean to us? This means, again, that the end is soon. I'm not trying to predict the date, but we can. This is the generation that God has chosen to accomplish the great commission. This is insane. What's happened in the last 20 years? In the last 20 years, this radical, just like crazy proclamation of the gospel has plateaued. Why? Well, if we use the analogy of like a tree, a fruit tree, all the low-hanging fruit has been plucked. Praise God for that. All the easy-to-get-to places 
have been reached. We planted churches there. We've sent missionaries. Now all that remains are the really hard places. They call it the bloody third because the gospel is not gonna go forth in power without sacrifice, without martyrs, without bold men and women who will sacrifice it all and say, I'm not gonna hunker down. I'm gonna go because I love the appearing of Jesus. Malaysia is one such place. There are 17 million Muslims there and only about 500 Christians amongst them. It's 0.002% reached. This is a hard to reach fruit on the tree. And the only way that myself and my team are ever gonna be able to reach it is like a ladder. Springs Church, I believe that you guys are that ladder. I believe that with your backing of prayer, and encouragement. You guys just saying like, we believe in this. We believe that this is the hour that God wants to reach the Malay people with the gospel, that this is the window that he has chosen for the Malay people to hear, that we are gonna be able to reach what has otherwise been unreachable for thousands and thousands of years. And so my encouragement to you guys is be involved in the Great Commission at some way, some shape, some form. I'm gonna give you a couple easy ways as we close. But also, I really do believe that God specifically has given Springs Church a burden for the Malay people. Let me just tell you one last statistic and then, and then we really will close. Do you know what the statistic is of being a missionary to Muslim people? It's uh, for every evangelical, only one in 429,000 people will go to be a, a missionary to Muslim person. The odds of being struck by lightning in the state of Colorado are actually greater than being a missionary to Muslim people. God is doing something really insanely special here at Springs Church. I mean, this is like, I have so many goosebumps right now. We have 12 people that want to be missionaries to Muslim people in Springs Church alone, going to Malaysia alone. That's not to count all the other missionaries like Susie that's going to Jordan and, and the Lobos working with refugees in Europe. Like God has placed a heavy, special burden on Springs Church and exciting days are ahead. Stand with me. In closing, I just wanna talk about how you can be involved in the Great Commission. I know I have a heart for Malaysia. I have a heart for Muslim people. That's not the only way you can be involved in the Great Commission. We want to just give you a few ways. They're not the only ways. Uh, but the first way to be involved in the Great Commission is to tell people. Time is getting short. Your neighbors, your family members, they need to know Jesus. It, it's actually really serious. And so to help that, um, we've partnered with Every Home for Christ right up the street, and we've made what are called our conversation packs. And you can find them as you go out the double doors. There's a big wall full of them. And inside, they have these awesome cards, like, do you know Jesus? And then it just gives a little bit of information about Jesus. There's a QR code. It takes them straight to our website at Springs Church, gives them instructions on how they can uh, know Jesus. But I encourage you to take one of these. You know what I do? Uh, when I'm ordering fast food and they're, they're handing my food, I say, hey, I have something for you as well. And I give them to them. I say, hey, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. So one way is to tell people, and we have great tools for you to do just that. Another way is to bring people to church. Be inviting people to come. God is doing something extremely special here at Springs Church. And lost people are, I mean, just this past Easter, how many baptisms did we have? How many salvations? It's been incredible. Another way is to pray. 
We have our Wednesday night prayer meeting. Every third Wednesday, we pray for our missionaries. We pray, we have lots of missionaries in all parts of the world. Please come be a part of that. Another way you can be a part of the Great Commission is to go, go on a short-term missions trip. We have one going to Las Vegas and we're gonna preach the gospel in one of the hardest and darkest cities in America, in the world, really. And we invite, that's for the whole congregation. You are so invited to come to that. It's $400, it's June 7th through the 14th. You can find information on the app. I would highly encourage you to pray about joining us on that trip. Another way is to learn. Learn about the Great Commission. Learn about the need. When you start actually researching it, I'm telling you, your heart will be softened to it. You will care. There's no way you'd be a sicko not to care. And you're not a sicko. You're gonna care about the things that you learn about because the need is everywhere. And then lastly, I would encourage you to give. Like I mentioned, there's, we, can't, we can't do this without your generosity and without financial backing. Our missionaries, we need to keep them sustained. We need to give um, generously as the Lord has given to us. Uh, you can even buy a cup of coffee at our missions coffee bar and it goes to missions. So, I mean, it's like you've got, it's just the best here at Springs Church. I love how we do things, but let's pray. And then uh, we're gonna end our time this morning. Jesus, could you tell us just to obey the great commission and we just do it blindly? Yeah, Lord, honestly, you have every right to do so. But God, I thank you that you've revealed so much of your own character. You invite us to partner with your heart. You don't call us servants. You call us friends. And as friends, we wanna care about the things that you care about, Jesus. We wanna care about your inheritance and your reward in the nations, Lord. We want to care about your glory. We want to care that your name is being reviled and blasphemed in the nations and you're not willing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance that you are giving them an opportunity to be made right with God. You have died on the cross. You took their place and half the world almost hasn't even heard about this, God. Jesus, we thank you that you are going to put an end to all evil, Lord all the craziness that we see and we're just so weary. We say, God, how long, God, that you promise you are coming. You're not slow to fulfill that promise. You're patient. Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of your patience and we'd be your mouthpieces. We would declare the glories of the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that you are coming soon. That if we are aware and alert we read the signs, we understand that they're birth pains, that something big is about to happen and it's gonna be drastic. And Jesus, we want to be moved now by your spirit, not a work of the flesh, but by your spirit to be involved in the Great Commission. We love you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.